0: And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. Entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who is crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go. Tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we ask that as we reflect on this word for the next few minutes, that we might see Jesus and his glory and the beauty of his salvation and of his resurrection. For his sake we pray. Amen. Well, religious language has been everywhere in our news feeds over the last few weeks. We've been reading and hearing about redemption. Salvation. Glory. And it's had nothing to do with religion. We've been hearing those words as it relates to sports. UVA experienced redemption a few weeks ago after having lost so ingloriously in the first round last year. They came back and they won their first national championship. Tiger Woods, after a long, long drought in golf, after almost giving up the game of golf, came back. And there's something strange about this to me, because we live in a post-Christian culture. We live in a culture that wants to rid itself of Christian language, of Christian terms. And yet, in sports, we still have Christian language, redemption, salvation, glory. Friends, we've gathered here this morning to celebrate, to remember, to think about to embody true and real and deep salvation, redemption. It's only found in the empty tomb. It's only found in the resurrection. Some of you are here this morning and you're sure of this message. You know this message well. You believe this message. You're entering into this message and this hope And you are sure and certain that Jesus has been raised from the dead and that he is your life. Some of you are seeking and you're realizing that redemption isn't found in your job or in your sports, in sports or in relationships. And you're seeking where redemption might be found. We hope that this is a place this morning where you come to find Jesus and his gospel to be true. And then some of you are skeptical. You really don't know what to believe in life. You're really unsure of what you believe. And you don't know whether you should believe in the Bible, believe in God, believe in the historicity of Jesus and of his life and death and resurrection. But welcome to all of you as we unpack this story of Jesus' resurrection. And we want to look at three things together as we follow the journey that we just read that these women embarked on on a Sunday morning almost 2,000 years ago. We're going to follow these women that Mark's gospel describes in their journey to the tomb and their discovery at the tomb and then as they flee from the tomb. So first let's walk with these women in their journey to the tomb. It tells us that The night before on Saturday evening, on the Jewish holy day, on this high holy day, this holy Saturday, that they went after their Sabbath, after their religious services, and they went to the market. They went to the local bazaar, and they bought spices. They bought spices in order to prepare the body of Jesus for his second burial. Because in the ancient world, you would want to anoint a dead body with spices to keep the stench Down in your community. And so these women went to the market to buy these spices, to buy these aromatic oils, to take them to Jesus' body and to anoint their Lord with these spices. And they get up early on that morning while it's still dark, and sadness and devastation have filled their hearts. The text gives us a little glimpse of their devastation. It says that their heads are down. When you're discouraged and when you're depressed, your head is not up, your chin is not up, it's down. And the text tells us that as they have their heads down, overwhelmed, overcome with this darkness, with this sadness, with the reality that the one in whom they had hoped to do so much for them is dead. They're discussing a problem on the way. How are three women going to roll back the stone? How in the world is it going to be possible for them even to do what they prepared to do? And that is to anoint Jesus' body with these spices that they've just purchased. And Mark's text tells us that this stone was very large. And so they're discussing this problem on their way. They have no way out of it you can imagine them thinking this is so stupid for us to be here what a waste of time we're not going to be able to do what we set out to do they think that it's a vain journey they think that it's a hopeless journey they are all alone nobody's there to help them nobody's there to be with them and as they come to this very large stone they're amazed They're shocked, they're confounded. They weren't expecting to discover what they found. But before we get to what they found, let me ask you this question. What's your stone in your life? What's the stone in your life that is very large? What's the stone in your life that you can't move? Maybe like these women, it's death. Maybe it's loneliness, maybe it's a broken relationship, maybe it's anger, maybe it's addiction, maybe it's sickness. But there's something in each and every one of our lives that we can't roll away. There are things in our lives that trap us in, that shut us in, that ensnare us. So what's your stone? And like these women that we'll soon discover, God often removes the barriers far ahead of us. God often takes our fears and our horrors and our agonies away in the most incredible ways. Friends, Christianity, the Christian story, is no guarantee that all of your stones will be rolled away in this life the way that you imagine them being rolled away. But Christianity is the story that the stone has been rolled away. The stone has already been defeated. The stone has already been destroyed. And that stone is death. And so these three women, as they come to the stone, expecting to find a dead body, not knowing how they'll get through the stone to anoint this dead body with These oils, they discover that the stone has been rolled away. And there's an angel at the stone. And this angel has a simple message for him. First, he says, Stop doing certain things. Stop being overwhelmed. Stop being confounded. Stop being shocked. Stop reeling. Stop trembling. Because Death has been defeated. The stone has been rolled back. Jesus has gained the victory. Jesus has conquered. Jesus has been vindicated. So stop thinking that death is the end of the story. And then he goes on to tell them to start doing certain things. He says that this Jesus who died... He has risen. Go. Go and tell his disciples. Go and especially tell Peter. Friends, angels in redemptive history play an important role. They're there at the beginning of God's story. They're there throughout history to announce and to proclaim what God is doing in the world. They've been there throughout Jesus' story. They've proclaimed to shepherds. They've proclaimed to followers of Jesus. They've proclaimed to Jesus himself words of encouragement and words of life. And now to these three women who are shocked and amazed and terrified at what they discover inside the tomb, that the tomb is empty, they hear the words of this angel saying, Go Jesus is risen he is not here look at where they have laid him look at his grave clothes they are empty go go with this message of hope go with this message of life go announce and proclaim that the stone death has been defeated Death has been swallowed up in the victory of Jesus. And go especially to Peter, the one who just a few hours earlier denied him, the one who rejected him so vehemently, the one who said, I don't even know what you are talking about. I don't know the man. I don't want to be associated with this man in any way, shape, or form. Go tell Peter, and go announce to Peter this good news, that the Lord that you have denied, the Lord that you have betrayed, he is risen. He lives. He lives as your Savior, Peter. He lives as your Redeemer. He lives as your Savior. Go announce this amazing grace, and go tell them that this Savior Jesus will be waiting for them with further instructions, with further news to tell these disciples what they're supposed to do in the world, how they're supposed to live after this amazing news of my resurrection. What amazing grace that these women found there. Think about Mary, who's there, Mary Magdalene, who's the first one that we hear about in the text. Her life was a very dark past. Her life included a very dark history, a very dark story. She was full of demons. And yet she's the first one to hear the message of this hope, of this life, of this grace. And so these women encounter at the tomb, their discovery at the tomb causes us to ask, what's your story? What's the story that defines your life? What's the story that orients your life? What's the story that controls your life? These women went to the tomb expecting one story. And they were encountered, they were confronted with a new story, a different story. And friends, if your story is built around anything but the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, then it's a story that's going to fail you. It's a story that's going to fall far short of redeeming you. Because there's no amount of wealth, there's no amount of beauty, of health, of success, of fame, of accomplishment that can redeem your life. In 1996, Earl Woods stood up in front of a crowd like this. And Earl Woods spoke words about his son, Tiger. And he said that his son, Tiger, would do more good in the world than any other human that has ever lived in the face of human history. That Tiger would do more good than people like Gandhi, than people like Nelson Mandela combined. That Tiger would be the world's redeemer, the world's savior. That he would have a platform bigger than anybody else had ever had in human history. And he would do more good for the world than anybody throughout human history has ever done. And I believe that these words that Earl spoke to his son, Tiger, were spoken out of love. I believe that they were spoken out of a pride in his son. But friends, these words have weighed Tiger down for over 20 years. And we've learned about Tiger in some pretty dramatic ways, that he's not a redeemer, that he's not a savior. But we have to ask the question, what story defines you? What story controls you? Only Jesus is the redeemer. Only Jesus has passed through the grave. Only Jesus has gained a victory. Only Jesus' story is a story that can truly liberate you and free you and not devastate you. So we've looked at the journey to the tomb. We've looked at the discovery and the story at the tomb. And now let's look as they flee from the tomb. Text tells us that they fled. Just like Mark fled naked and ashamed, a passage earlier. They fled trembling. They fled astonished. They fled full of fear. They fled saying nothing no one. In Mark's context, Mark's gospel is written in the face of Roman persecution. The Romans have turned upon the Christians and they're killing them and murdering them and beheading them at an astonishing rate. And Mark's gospel is written to these Christians throughout the Roman Empire and Rome in particular who are beginning to believe in Jesus and say, this is my story. But by putting their faith in Jesus, they may face the sword of Rome. And in Mark's gospel, he has the strangest strangest messengers announcing the good news. First, it was a centurion at the cross of Jesus. The one who had been meshed in worship of the emperor. The one who believed that Caesar was God's son. The one who believed that Caesar was a savior and a lord. It's this man, the centurion, who is first to say that truly this is God's Son. Truly this is the Savior. Truly this is the Redeemer of the world. And now in the resurrection narrative, it's these women who are the first to proclaim the reality that Jesus has been raised. They're unlikely witnesses. And in the first century context, they wouldn't even be Witnesses that would be allowed in a court of law. Women weren't allowed to testify in any uh, formal gathering, in any formal setting. And, but Mark puts them as a first to proclaim the resurrection of Jesus. So we have these two unlikely witnesses, the centurion and these women. And that's the point. The Gospels are not written as success stories. The Gospels are written as real accounts of defeats and discouragements of Christ's followers. And as these, go- as these women go from the tomb, the text tells us that they go full of fear. They're afraid. They're fearful. They don't know what to do with this message that they've just heard. They don't know what to do with this reality that they have just encountered friends resurrection is the scariest reality in all the world resurrection is the most terrifying thing in all of history if it's true and the gospel writers in no way shape or form write it in a way to deny it if it's true and no one has ever been able to disprove it if it's true then it changes everything it must change everything it has to change everything The reality of the resurrection changes how we live. It changes how we relate to God. It changes how we relate to one another. It changes how we relate to the good gifts of God's creation. It changes how we spend our money. It changes how we enter into relationships. It changes how we think about our future. It changes how we live. It changes how we love. It's scary. It's hard. It's fearful. And Mark's gospel ends with fear overcoming these first followers of Jesus because they don't know what's going to happen to them when they pronounce that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus is a risen and reigning Lord in the midst of Roman persecution. (laughs) My friends, we're far from this in many ways, but in other ways, this still shapes what it means to be a follower of Christ. Just this morning as I woke up, I woke up to news on my phone that in Sri Lanka, terrorists had come in and terrorists had attacked several churches and several hotels in that country, specifically attacking Christians. I woke up to the dark and devastating reality that hit these community communities of Christ followers as they gathered to do just what we've gathered to do, to pray, to sing, to rejoice, to commune with their lord and we're far from removed from this type of persecution but not these early followers and not many of our brothers and sisters all around the world that face persecution that face fear of their own lives for following the risen jesus this morning's tragic news gives us a glimpse into why mark's gospels and mark's gospel ends so abruptly Throughout Mark's Gospel, he's been telling Christ followers one thing. If you're going to follow Jesus, if you're going to enter into his life and his death and now his resurrection as he gets to the end of the Gospel, if you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to have to take up your cross and die. If you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to have to follow him into the grave. If you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to have to follow him into the tomb. You're going to have to follow him into the greatest fear that all of us have, death, the stone. But the reality of the resurrection is that we follow Jesus into an empty tomb. We follow Jesus into the reality that death has been defeated. We follow Jesus into the reality that his life and his Light, rain. We follow Jesus in the reality that perfect love drives out all fear. We follow Jesus into the empty tomb, discovering that He is alive and that nothing can separate us from His love. Not disease, not defeat, not discouragement, not depression, not even death. We follow Jesus into His victory. So just like these women, if you choose to follow Jesus, you may have things that you fear about following Jesus. There may be things that are difficult about following Jesus, but you follow your risen Lord into the overcoming reality that he has swallowed up and defeated the stone, the greatest fear that we all have. As I said at the beginning. We've been reading in our news religious language as it relates to sports. So, congratulations to Tiger. Tiger's now won 15 important golf tournaments. Congratulations to UVA. They've just won their first national championship. Tiger's a great golfer. UVA's a good basketball program. Still nothing compared to my alma mater, UCLA. Although, there are in a in a down down cycle right now, but Tiger's a great golfer. UVA is a good program. Nothing more. They're not saviors. They're not redeemers. That title is saved for the suffering servant, who died, who rose, and who now reigns. So friends, as you go from this place, and as some of you go, sure of what you believe sure that jesus is your savior sure that jesus has defeated the stone go from this place knowing that he loves you knowing that he is with you even as you face all sorts of fears like these first followers faced as you go from this place maybe as a seeker go continually seeking him go to where he's found jesus is with us in a special way each and every lord's day morning so, I would encourage you to keep coming back to this place. And if it's not this church, then maybe some other church. Go to where Jesus is. Seek him. He is the only one who can save you. And maybe some of you are going from this place skeptical. You don't know what you believe, you don't know what you should believe in life. Well, go knowing that the tomb really is empty, that death really has been defeated, that the greatest fear that each and every one of us has has been overcome. Go knowing that Jesus lived, that Jesus died, that Jesus rose again because of his great love for his world. Go knowing that he is making all things new, that his light and love is shining in the midst of darkness. And bring your fears and bring your doubts and bring your worries and concerns to him and live in light of the reality that the stone has been rolled away. Let's pray. Our Father, and God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for the story of the gospel and of your faithfulness throughout the centuries and throughout the generations to bring your light and your life and your love to your people. And Lord, we all face big stones, stones that are very large, stones that we cannot roll away in our own power. Lord, we want this morning to bring these before you and ask that you'd give us grace to endure them, ask that you in your grace would roll them away. And Lord, we pray that we would come to believe maybe for the first time or maybe uh, for uh, many, many times uh, since, that, w- that we would come to believe that Jesus really is our Savior, that Jesus really is our Lord, that Jesus really has risen from the dead. And Lord, that you would send us out from this place to embody your life and your love. We all have fears. We all have worries. We all have concerns. But we pray that our lives would not be defined by our fears, but our lives would be defined by faith in you and in Jesus, whom you have sent. And Father, we pray especially this day for our brothers and sisters in Sri Lanka, can't imagine what they're facing what they're enduring having gathered in a place like we've gathered this morning we pray that they would not fear but that they would seek you in the midst of their fears in the midst of their worries in the midst of their concerns and that they would find you to be their life and their love and their light even in the midst of such darkness and lord help us to pray for them not only today but throughout this week and help us to enter into their pain and their suffering as they are our brothers and sisters and many other brothers and sisters around the world. We pray, Lord, that we would be marked by people as people who know you and who love you and who bring the message of your gospel to a world in need of it. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.